are heading into the last session of the day before we come back tonight. So um, just to let you know that the, the format of this session is slightly different. So we're going to have a little bit of input and then we're going to have time for you to discuss some of the concepts that we're chatting about and then there's going to be a Q&A. So highly participatory because we know about this session, the post-lunch pre-nap session which is appropriately called working from rest. So um, yes, the irony is not lost on us. So um, let's get rid of this. Okay, so I'm gonna introduce my panel, of which there are four, so I need one more chair. Here comes Josh, okay. Thanks, Rex. Okay, so as I introduce them, they're gonna join me on the stage with another microphone, I think, and um, my limit was 100 words. I could only say 100 words or less about each person. So meet Arno. Arno has been in ministry in different formats for 28 whole years, starting as a youth pastor working for Scripture Union. He was part of Friends First, which then became Common Ground, and now is the lead guy at Everyday People in East London. Arno loves people. He loves smoking meat. He loves watching sports, and those of you who follow him will know that, unfortunately, he is a Liverpool fan. He loves playing touch rugby and encouraging and envisioning others. He does not like hugs from people who don't know him well. Let that be a lesson. He does not like pineapple on pizza, and according to Claire, he does not like DIY. He's been married to Claire for 27 years. They have three grown-up children who are 26, 24, and 23. So if you do the maths, they met in 1994, and fi five years later, they already had three kids. It was a very, very busy time. And so, welcome to Arno. Wow. Wow. Next up, we have Paul and Lee. Paul and Lee Morn together lead the Common Ground Seapoint congregation. They actually live in Seapoint. They are right on the ocean. And so you will find them in the ocean supping. You will find them on the promenade where they walk and run and do all those healthy things that people in Seapoint do. Paul is in his 40s, but he's just started skateboarding to work. That is how cool he is. They are what we call a common ground couple. They met in common ground. They got married in common ground, and now they are serving in common ground. They're at the life stage of three very young kids, nine and under. I call them the odd kids, because they're all odd ages, nine, seven, and five. Um, and Paul also does some part-time work for the Graduate School of Business in his spare time, working with MBA students and all of those kind of things. Last guest is Greg Grunmeyer. Greg serves as a marketplace elder in Common Ground Seapoint, um, and he has 20 years of business experience at an executive level. After leaving the corporate world, he had then started his own coaching business called NewMind, and he is an, a certified executive coach. And so in Greg, we have someone who's passionate about people, about coaching them, about mentoring them, and also passionate about seeing teams come through. So he does a lot of work with teams and getting them into like a high-performance space. Um, he's at that stage where he's got grown-up children and grandkids. He leads the race by being married to Delia for 38 years. That's very impressive. And for those of you who don't know, Greg is also a musician who loves jazz. This is Greg. I am Louise. I am married to Alan over there who just got complimented on his biceps. Yes, again. Again. <laughs> Enough said, really. <laughs> Yeah. 
totally unscripted. <clears throat> I uh, serve on the staff and leadership team here at Common Ground. I've been, we've been part of Common Ground for 20 years. As long as we've been married, we have two kids in the teen space. And I'm very excited to be leading this session. This is a, um, a topic that is very close to my heart. And I've actually been just doing some fresh kind of work on it, on rest and Sabbath and sabbatical as um, kind of leading our staff team through that. So that's been great. On a, in my spare time, you'll find me reading a good novel. And unlike Anna, I love pineapple on pizza. So sorry for you. Okay. Right. So that's who we've got here. And you'll hear more from them as we go. Um, I'm going to ask Arno to kick us off because a little bit about why we're doing this session. I love the title, Working From Rest. Tell like, the heart of including this in a leadership conference. Why? A simple answer is that if you hang around church leaders long enough, you'll recognize there's two significant um, feelings or experiences that they go through. One is loneliness. So we're going to talk about friendship a bit during a session too, just how to cultivate deep gospel friendship and exhaustion. So how do we work from a place where we are not lonely and we're not exhausted all the time? Um, so we want to just talk through that and share some of our learnings, some of the things that works for us or why we've fought for those things in our own personal spaces and lives and hopefully we'll teach something to you but also just learn from... I'm here because I need to learn how to Sabbath probably from this guy. So that's why I'm on the panel. Basically, Ono put a panel together of the things he wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> No shame in that. And then I just... Greg Tate, please own this one. That was Greg's idea. Greg, do you want to come join us? No, no. Oh, okay. And so I want to ask this, Greg, though. As someone, you've been involved in all kinds of leadership. You've seen good leadership, bad leadership. You coach into the space. Why do you think it's important or valuable to have a session like this? Okay, I told my wife I'm going to be here speaking about rest, and she laughed. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm here as the coaches to learn so I can take it back to my client base. But um, why I think this is important is as the older guy on stage, um, I've been trying to practice. I can teach it. I can speak about it. I can give you models and frameworks. I know all about it. I've done lots of study. But when it comes to doing it, it's not easy. And, uh, but as I'm getting older, it's getting easier, I find. So I would just encourage the younger guys. It gets easier as you go on. But it's such an important topic. And I think this, what's great about this is that um, we get to hear other people's perspectives and learning, which you can learn from and steal from. And hopefully we all take away a lot of learning and best practices of how to do this well. Great. And so, Paul, I'm going to actually start, ask you. So Paul is someone who I really feel has, has learned in this being rather than doing space. And he's someone who's kind of grappled with that quite a bit, and it's been cool to be a witness to that. So just share a little bit of your reflections and how God's been speaking to you. Thanks, Louise. Um, I'm just aware of the irony of all the Joburgers listening to the coastal guys talking about our need for rest. and <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of... <laughs> so let me... Yeah, let me try to give you some Joburg credentials. I was born in Santon, and um, at my 21st, my dad said Paul was our second born, and he never wanted to come second again. And um, I grew up just around the corner, and I raced my mom around this common, this patch of land, and every time I'd get to the flagpole ahead of her, I'd sing V-I-C, V-I-C, as the last time my mom ran with me. So I, I, I must confess, just a busyness addiction, and essentially over my life, just wanting to win, whatever it was, I want to win. And... Um, I got to a place where uh, Leanne and I went away, and she said, Paul, you've been incredibly busy. I've actually had an eye twitch for the last month. We had three kids under the age of four, and I haven't wanted to tell you because I could see you were busy, 
um, but this is the reality. And, I, and, yeah, and she thought I'd notice after a month. I didn't. Um, and it was just God. God in that moment just kind of showed, Paul, you think you went in, but are you really? And, and to be honest, it was quite easy to make the corrections. And I had this vision of like, okay, I'm doing the thing. I'm doing the Jesus stuff. Why are we going to do it? And I remember just sitting with my three young children going, this is incredibly boring. <laughs> like, this sucks, you know? This, and, 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 then, and then slowing down and actually just feeling like, it just this is not what I thought it was. And it was almost like I knew what I didn't want, but, but stepping into another rhythm and uh, it didn't feel easy at all. And I, I think the language that I've, it helped me understand it, Louise, is um, the language of short feedback loops versus long feedback loops. There's some, some things in life, like this panel. If we didn't prep for it, very quickly there'd be a short feed, feedback loop going, oh, those guys didn't prep it, like embarrassing in front of all these people, right? So you prefer short feedback loop stuff. You know the moment's coming soon. But life, actually, the really important stuff often is long feedback loops. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your kids, your parenting. That thing only comes back years later, where you actually see what you've been telling them for nine years is finally getting repeated back to you. And I think what I realized when I sat with my kids and I was just like, this is boring, was there was no short feedback loop stuff. There was nothing telling me, you're doing well, it's going well, like, babes, you're incredible. It was like, it just, it just wasn't there. And, uh, and so I'd almost say like, and I'll stop there for now, just the bankruptcy of this short feedback loop life. It, it gives you the high, but it, you need another one, you need another one, you need one. And I, I, I wasn't comfortable with what the next step was, but I knew I had to change. And Jesus said, you know, come to me, those that are weary, those that are heavily bad, and, and um, the message translates, I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. And that, that was the start of a journey of saying, I, am, I need it. I'm declaring bankruptcy on business, busyness. I want the long feedback loop, and I want to learn these unforced rhythms of grace. Great. So we do want to commend um, some resources to you that I'm sure you know, but let's just say them anyway. John Mark Homer, his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which ironically came out just before COVID. <laughs> um, and then there's also a podcast that is also, for those of you who prefer the audio kind of version, which is really helpful. And then any of Pete Scudero's stuff on emotion, emotional health, and he's got a whole website. And on his Emotionally Healthy website, he's got this free book on Sabbath. It's an e-book. Um, and I'd love to commend that to you because I found that stuff super helpful. And that was some of the stuff that I was kind of reworking through. And I want to just share a quick summary of his framework because I found it so helpful. And obviously, it's specifically on Sabbath. But he then translates that into what does that mean for vacation or sabbatical or periods of rest. And he has these four practices of Sabbath. And they are just that. They are things that we practice. And the, the four things are this. To stop that actually part of what we do on Sabbath is to stop and to recognize that we, we must stop <laughs> and we can stop because we are not God. And only God is the one who doesn't stop. Um, and we revel in the fact that we just be and we don't have to do. And we also recognize that we have to stop because, because we need to pause and we need to rest. And, and so that's the second one. Um, but also the idea that we don't stop when we are finished. Because a lot of us were like, okay, I'll stop and I'll rest when I'm finished. But we are never finished. Um, and even when we die, there will be stuff that we haven't finished. So just learning to embrace our limits and embrace our boundaries. Um, that even though I stop, the world can continue because God is in control. And then we rest and we respect that we are human. And so we are created for rest. We are created for sleep. We are created to replenish. 
um, and that overwork, production, hurry, busyness, those things that can easily um, define us are not actually the things that should be defining us. And we focus on slowing down. And in this book, here's this beautiful um, illustration of how God put that in the DNA of his people when he took them out of slavery, where they had no choice to rest because they had to work every day. And part of the new design, part of the new DNA was this commandment to stop and to rest. And what do we rest from? We rest from have to. We rest from should. We rest from work and physical exhaustion and hurriedness and multitasking and competitiveness and worry and decision-making and catching up on errands and doing our to-do list and talking and technology and machines and consuming and spending. All of the, those are the things we rest from. And then we delight, just like God did. We delight in creation. We delight in his gifts to us. We delight in people. We delight in those things that bring us joy, which looks different for everybody is it getting into creation? Is it a walk on the beach? Is it um, a good meal? Is it friendship? Is it um, a good movie? Is it art? What are those things that bring delight to your soul? And then to contemplate. And that part of Sabbath is putting God back at the center. And so contemplating him and feasting on his presence um, and making sure that there's space for that. And so usually that involves worship and being in God's word and being quiet and being in spaces of silence and solitude. So I just thought that was a really helpful grid. Even if you think about your past Sabbath, when was it? <laughs> was it recent? And did it contain all four of those elements? Because um, usually there's one that's easiest for us and one that's more difficult. So Lee, I'm going to ask you, you are someone who's kind of, this whole idea of Sabbath has been something that you've been working on as a family. Chat to us about that, how it's gone, what you've learned, what you've done. Yes, hello everybody. Um, yeah, it's been helpful married to Paul because he said, babes, we need to do Sabbath. And I said, no, that's an old-fashioned, Old Testament principle. We don't have to do that anymore. Remember, Jesus has bought our rest for us and we can rest on the go. We don't need to take a 24-hour period. And it was a few years later that we read the book, um, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and that was just before COVID. And I had my life radically sort of shifted from reading that book. And one of the big parts of it is to commit to doing a weekly Sabbath of 24 hours, and so I got there eventually, Paul got there a few years before I did, um, and we've said we want to do that for 24 hours, we want to do the Sabbath rest, um, and so I would say um, the way I see that time is I see it as a, a rebellious act, <laughs> where I'm rebelling against the sense of urgency, I'm rebelling against the to-do list that never end, because the needs are endless in ministry, there, there's a, limit, a limitless amount of people that you can love, and you can serve, and you can care for, and we don't want those emails that Doug gets, where people <laughs> say that they don't feel cared for, right? <laughs> So we don't want that. So we, we want to be there for people if we can. And so um, in order to rebel against that, that sense that I need to be there for people and I need to get things done because if it's not me, who's going to do it? We say, okay, we, we're going to take 24 hours out and we're not going to be those people for anyone. <laughs> and we're going to rest and cease from our work. And so the best Sabbaths that we have are the ones that we plan um, so I would say the, the first thing to do is to plan it and to actually say, okay, what do we have on ours is, um, from a Friday night to a Saturday night? That just works for us because Sunday is church and work. That, that's sort of our job here. Um, and so, yeah, we, we plan it. We say, okay, what, what is, it's also supposed to be, as we saw there, a time of delight. So it's a time for your favorite things. It's, it's a weekly holiday, 
um, rather than waiting for this once a year experience where you get to just eat great food and rest and, and, and relax, we get to do that for 24 hours every single week. And so we really look forward to it. And I said guest to Thursday night and we're like, oh, can't wait for Friday. And so we do a meal on Friday night. So for me, I don't enjoy cooking. So um, resting means I don't have to cook on a Friday night. And so we love to cycle down to um, pizza on the prom. And we get pizza together as a family, watch the sun go down, cycle back home. Um, Yeah, basically really tell our kids, guys, this is the beginning of Sabbath. If we're at home, we light a candle and we say a prayer and we say, we are now resting our phones. We try and put our phones away, which also takes planning because you need to have messaged all those people that you that need to hear from you on Saturday. Um, and then I do sometimes take my phone out if I know I'm needing just to respond to someone, but the best Sabbaths are the ones where the phone is packed away and switched off. Um, Saturday morning, we wake up and we have tea and rusks as a family, and we actually go around and just talk about what God has been saying to us. And so I mean, we have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old, and so it's very interesting to hear what God has been saying to them. But it's a time for our kids to see that God is real in Paul and my lives, and we've been having quiet times, and they've watched us have our quiet times in the morning, in the week. Um, and so it's for us to say, hey, this is what God's been saying to me. And so our kids know that we have a very real relationship with God, and He speaks to us through His Word. And so that's quite a fun time, and obviously chaotic at times as well. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of the day can look different. Um, our kids are starting to do sport, and so some of you are like, what about sports? What about kids' parties? What about all those other things? We put those um, things into the category of delight. Um, sport is delightful. And so standing on the side of the field watching your kids play is a delightful thing. And we, we, when we're driving there, we talk to our kids about them. We say, hey, God made your body, and he made you be able to run. And so when you run, you're glorifying him in what you're doing. And so really just try to bring God into our conversations all the time throughout that day. Um, and yeah, try to get out into nature. And then we get to have a Sunday, Saturday nap. Saturday nap time, that is a good Sabbath where we all, our kids, we've sort of taught them all to have quiet time. So everyone goes to their rooms after lunch and it's nap time and sleep time. And that's Sabbath in the morn household. Yeah. Yay. But Lee and I were chatting, the irony of being asked to be on this panel and then recognizing that some of those amazing habits have slipped. And so just comment on that, your, your thoughts about the treadmill and all of that. Exactly. So we read this book and then it was COVID and then we got some really great rhythms in place and we felt super smug about it. Um, and then about six weeks ago, things just went out of control. And where we thought we had put in margin so that we can walk at the pace of Jesus and not run ahead of him and we've got ability to be interrupted, you know, we really thought we'd had done that. Um, I think we've just been clapped in the last six weeks. And so, yeah, said to Lou, this is, this is God's sense of humor. I am feeling that, and I think what I put it down to is there are two things that get us into that place. The one is what I spoke about previously, that sense of urgency. If I don't do it, no one's going to do it, and this has to get done. It's for God's glory. It's for his kingdom. People need me, Um, and we place way too much emphasis on what we can do and way too little emphasis on what God can do, And, uh, and we feel bad to say no. And we feel bad to step away because we hate it when other people do that to us. And so we'll lead by example by never saying no and filling the gap whenever we can. And so I find myself getting back onto that treadmill of like, I need to be there for people. And that sense of urgency takes over. And all that margin that we'd put in just got snapped up very, very quickly. And then the other thing is that um, I think the root cause is my identity. So much of my identity is found in my doing 
and and so I really struggle with that. And so very quickly you can get back into that, I think you were saying, that addiction to busyness because it makes us feel good and it makes us feel worthy. And just the reminder of that is not where my identity is. is. And I need to be okay with telling someone what I've done in a day and not be embarrassed if it doesn't seem that impressive. In terms, of, I think there's the sense of like, pride in how busy a day you've managed to get through and wow wow you're amazing how did you manage all of that that's the culture we live in and we as Christians shouldn't have that same culture but yet we find ourselves doing the same thing so great I see a few just a few nodding heads here um Arno you are someone who knows how to delight so tell us about your delighting (laughs) are you looking at Claire there I'm not sure (laughs) The eyebrows are going up. I'm not. This is not what we planned at all. Tell us some of the things. Oh no! Delight. I was looking at the list, going, "Oh, we can do delight." Um, I, I think for us, as Claire and I, as a, as a couple, we've always just enjoyed having folk around our dining room table. So we've just, as long as I can remember, Cape Town days, East London, we've just opened our home to whoever um, leadership friends, just mates in ministry kind of thing. We've had meals around the table. We, Claire, Claire does a fair bit of cooking in her business. Um, I enjoy smoking meat and playing with like all kinds of ways of cooking steak, not, not weed. I've said this before. Like, guys, you like smoking weed. Is that the secret? No, meat. Um, and so, so our dining room table has just been something that we really enjoy, and we've used that to hopefully build friendship and um, into people. We I was ambitious, I think, just as you were. When you're young, you just want to run hard, and you get into a functional mode where you're just going hard. For, and you think that's the way I'd rather burn out than fade out for Jesus kind of thing. Um, and then later you realize you are actually going to get to that burn out, but before you, you want to. Um, and just how much of our friendships, even in the church, and relationships are, are functional friendships. And when, when do you have a conversation around a dining room table that's not about the functional position you hold in church, but because the person across the table actually just matters as a friend. And it's harder than you think to get to that conversation and to have those kind of meals with people, and it takes a long time. And so I think it's just it's something that we use what we've got. So we enjoy having people around our dining room table. We're comfortable. We do enjoy cooking. Lee, um, you're welcome to come try, try some. Um, and I am wired as an includer, so my second strength finder, um, I think, is an includer. So we love having people in our lives. Ironically, the hugging thing, but that's that's okay. Jesus said in John, "Don't cling to me." So I'm in good company. Um, so if Jesus can say, "Don't cling to me," <laughs> you're not a stranger. <laughs> but I, I do I do find in church this: if you read enough books around church leadership and pastoral books, you'll talk about the amount of guys in leadership that are incredibly lonely. And it's not because they're not surrounded by people. They just, they, all the people in their lives are functional people. They are the leaders in their church or they, they get something. There's, a, there's a kind of like a negotiation going on or I have to keep this relationship strong. But not, not many people just invest in you because of you, who you are as a person. And so we've just found grace in our lives to be able to open our home and our lives up to, to others. Um, I, I love younger church leaders who are coming through, who are, who are struggling, who just can feel the pressure of church life in our home. Um, yeah, and so... I don't know if that answers the question, but delight, and we do it and we have a lot of fun doing it. It's not hard work, it's easy for us. And I would just say, use what works for you. You might not be like the the guys that enjoy people around the dining room table. There might be some other aspect that you really delight and enjoy as a family, include them on your bike rides or your 
your cycles and that kind of thing. But that's what I would say to that one. Thank you. That's great. Okay, Paul, Paul's got these one-liners. He's, he's the, if you've ever heard Paul talk, he is the one-line king. And so, come, give us a few more of those one-liners that you've got floating around in your head on this topic. Um, so the one was a book title, which I think is fabulous, called um, Beat Your Kids Up. <laughs> Beat Your Kids Up. And it basically speaks about setting an alarm before your kids wake up. Okay. So I don't know what you were thinking about, but... <laughs> Um, but really, it is massively important to start the day and create an environment that your kids join. I mean, we often said to our kids, you joined our marriage. We didn't join your life, you know? And, um, and, <coughs> and, um, and it, didn't go, it didn't go down too well. Were, it wasn't quite age appropriate, but we, they now get the message. Um, and, and we really want to invite them in the morning. We wake them up and we've had time with Jesus and we, we, we are... are um, in silence and solitude. And I would say that's the second thing. I often got stuck as young, ambitious, and that's my bend, is you often think contemplation. What's the opposite of contemplation? Action, right? We go being or doing. That's kind of what we think. And I remember this one-liner was the opposite of contemplation is not action. The opposite of contemplation is reaction. You go through your life just reacting, 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 or you spend time in silence solitude with Jesus and you, and you hear his whispers and you, and you go out with a sense of action rather than reaction. And so that, that is crucial to just almost catch up with your soul and realize that thing I thought happened three days ago and I've moved on from, that thing is still whirling away and you just need the opportunity to let it come to the surface. Um, and that's why it's hard to slow down. That's why practically it sucks, quite honestly, because you think you're an amazing person right now and the only reason you're not more loving or kind is because you're just very busy. And as soon as you take the busyness excuse out, you're like, whoa. This is actually what's happening. And so that ability to, to contemplate and bring it out into the light and to journal and bring it before God and bring it before mates, because then you've got stuff. You're not just saying, no, I'm fine, I'm busy. You're actually going, no, bro, I actually got really hacked three days, you know, and now let's, what's going on there? And you have to pull the thread and get to your identity and your sin. And so that's the one thing. Opposite of contemplation, not action, it's, it's reaction. Um, beat your kids up. Um, uh, the, the, don't tweet that. Please don't yeah. tweet that. The, the short feedback loop, long feedback loop, always go, always go long, long feedback loop. It's harder in the, in the short term, but it, it re, you know, has the benefit um, further down the line. And um, yeah, and just I, end with a paintbrush one. Uh, it, my mate Ian Kruger used, I thought it was beautiful on 1 Corinthians 13 the other day. You know, often think about it. Is it the painting or is it the paintbrush? Like, which one is it? And, and he kind of says, well, it's a, it's a bit of a silly question, right? That the, the Sabbath the silence and solitude, fasting, all these beautiful spiritual practices of paintbrushes, we know they're not the main thing. Like God's using these things to create something beautiful in our hearts and our lives. Like we all going to marvel at the painting. You don't mount the paintbrush up next to the painting. Go, oh, look, you know. But don't diss the paintbrush. Don't, don't get all like, oh, work. You know, just, just go, hey, thank you, God. There's a means of grace. Every morning I build an altar. Sometimes you come down and it's flames. Sometimes it's just an altar that's there, you know. But you are the one who's, creating a life of love inside of me. And I want to be famous at home. Like that's my little line that I have. I just want to be famous at home. I don't want, and no offense, but a lot of you are randoms. You know, you don't know me. I don't know you. I don't want you to go, wow, what amazing idea. And to go like, babes, we don't do any of that that you said on the panel. And, and honestly, for a large chunk of my life, that's been the experience. Yeah, but babes, we will one day. The people don't need to know, you know. And I'm just, I'm just at that stage now where I'm like, no, I want you to find out from my wife that it's even better than what you heard. And, and that's going to be a long, that's a long feedback loop yeah. thing, but I'm signing up for that. And, and there are a lot of paintbrushes that we've been given, that God gives. We don't glorify those things, but we want to get 
a painting of God's love and his kingdom come um, in our homes and then into the world, hey? Great. Okay, we've got a couple more questions for Greg. I put him last so he can fix everything that we said that was wrong. <laughs> so, Greg, your reflections, your lessons, your mistakes, like what can we learn from you? Um, I think what everything's been said is I fully agree with, um, but it was probably as the older guy, let me talk about what I've observed. So, um, I think Bill Buford in his book, Halftime, very succinctly commented on the first half of life, the second half of life, and the halftime period. And he says the first, first half of your life is all about striving, succeeding, being first. And that's certainly my story. And Paul alluded to it, and I think Arno alluded to it as well. And so, message to the younger guys is really, um, it's not a sprint, it's a, it's a marathon. And are you running the race at the right pace to survive the long, the, the, the long haul? Because if you, if you speak to Delia, she'll tell you that in my early days, I ran too hard. Um, uh, there were weekends I never saw the children nor wife um, just because I was competing and I was, I was so proud of being so busy and achieving so much. And, uh, and it's, it's a lie. It's false. So the younger guys in the room, w- look at yourself and measure yourself against what's wise, listening to older people that have been through it. Um, uh, get ready to run the marathon rather than sprint the short race. It's not a short race. So I think that's been a big lesson for me. And then trying to get to that second half as soon as possible. So you can be young and go through the halftime. Because so, Bill Buford speaks about being wise. So it's really having the wisdom of God in how you do life. And, um, uh, and it's about listening to people that have done it well, uh, are doing it well, and steal from them. Um, in the coaching thing, I just give best practices and things I've stolen from other people to pass on, pass on as, as practice. So the, so the habits and the practices we have in solitude and all that, it's all underpinned by a personal choice we have to make. What am I doing in obedience to God? Am I doing it or not doing it? So we have a big choice to make about our lifestyle, our approach, and how we live our life. Um, against the noise of competing, watching other people, feeling vulnerable, being lonely. It's all those things. But it comes down to saying, who am I in God and what am I depending on God to do in my life to make this different and living that real wise, successful, thriving life in God. Yeah, and that's been my, so for me, and as I get older, I'm hoping one day to catch the right wind and sail well. But it's about putting away the noise and the, the way the world calls us to doing it the way God calls us to be. But it's difficult. Okay, last question. So you are someone who has experienced burnout. You have experienced overload. Wisdom to us <laughs> to not get there? Um, so I, I just think it's, it's, it's the way we're wired. So it's, our, it's who we are in our human, human nature. Um, also, um, the one thing I've noticed, I've made promises to things I thought were important too quickly and too easily. So I agree to deadlines and other people's agendas, which puts me under a lot of pressure. And because I'm wired in that I keep my promise and I'm a good person you can depend on, I end up serving those things and not serving what God's calling me to do. My family, my wife, my health, my life. And, uh, and so, so guys, I, I think that God's after us to preserve and fight for what's really sacred and important in our lives. And we don't do it well, lots of us. We get seduced and we get hijacked. Thank you. Uh, Let's give them a, a thank you to the panel.
what we're going to do now is give you 10 minutes to chat. So you're a bunch of leaders. You probably don't need um, questions to stimulate your thinking because you've got them. But if you do, we've got some on the screen um, that are all labeled number two. I'm not sure why. But and there are four questions there. Um, and you can use those as a discussion point or you can make up your own because you're a leader and that's what you do. And then after 10 minutes, we will have an opportunity for any questions from the floor to the panel if you would like to know more. Okay, 10 minutes starting now.
Okay, we're going to interrupt your discussions. Sorry to do that. Looked really good. We do just want to leave some time for Q&A. Okay, so Josh, this is Josh in the white shirt. He's going to grab Lee's mic. If you have a question, why don't you just wave and he will come to you so we can hear your question and you are welcome to point it at a specific person or whoever wants to take it will take it. Any questions? This is going to earn you your tea break. So participate nicely and we'll let you go to tea. So my question's for Honor. Um, is... Just speaking to the, the guys in the first half of their story, which unfortunately I'm not anymore, um, but uh, as, as you're growing in your ministry and your, and your role in the church, you're picking up responsibility. And as you pick up responsibility, you're hearing people go, wow, you're growing in the Lord, you're growing in maturity, that's great. How do you like, measure that with saying yes to too much and then you end up in that burnout loops because you're feeling the encouragement from godly men and women that you are doing great in the Lord. But then you, you've ended up saying too much, taking on too much and you, you just can't cope. And you've said other people's yeses to your own life. 
Next question. I mean, Arno will be good answer. I think it's easy to say no to the one. If you have to rank, if you have to rank opportunities between one and ten, ten, you're like, come and accept your Oscar. You're gonna say yes, right? One is like something Doug Fell doesn't feel like doing. Imagine, okay? But but I think one to six is easy to say no to. Nine and ten easy to say yes to. It's the things at seven and eight where you're going, ooh, this this needs to get done. Am I the right person? Or and 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 that's the hard zone. And the, the little acronym NO, which stands for no, um, <laughs> the, the, N, the N stands for needs fruit. So nine and 10, if I'm saying nine and 10, I need fruit on that thing. I, I've decided this is the right thing at the right time for the right reason. I'm giving myself to that. It needs fruit. Like I'm trusting God for 30, 100 fold. So I, I'm saying no, because not because I don't like seven and eight opportunities, because this is the bigger one. And then the O stands for this is an opportunity for others. Genuinely needs to get done. So who are the people that I'm bringing into the slipstream of my life that I've, not just now, but my whole life, I've been building saying you've got this and I give them the opportunity. So in my mind, I, I, I use that as a framework just to help all of us kind of realize at some stage, you no longer say no to only bad things. You're starting to say no to really good things that you used to love doing, but it's someone else's fruit now that needs to get developed, someone else's opportunity. Thanks for giving me time to think. Um, so I'm going to go for, that's brilliant. Um, so what I would go is, um, Greg referred to the first half of your life, you're chasing success. So one, some of the books you read is first half success, second half you're fighting for significance. And what it actually talks about is what's going on on the inside, not necessarily your, your achievements. When you're more secure in Christ, your success and how far you can go becomes less important than actually the kind of person you're becoming in Christ as a church leader. So is the kind of person I am becoming as a church leader more important or, as, or is the success of my ministry more important? And I think growing older, you'll quickly realize that the kind of person you're becoming during ministry is more important than the numbers behind you or the success behind you. And that's an internal identity thing. I think that's where friendship comes in. We need friends to keep going at what are you really pursuing here and what is, what is a monster that you're feeding if there's a, if there's a feeding going, if it makes sense. Um, and how do we stop our friends from pursuing those things and settling with identity and, and st stop thinking they have to be the hero in the room or in the story that God can raise others, I think would be very helpful. Yeah, yeah and this question is probably for, for Greg. Um, yeah, I think, so for me, I don't really have a, a problem un, like understanding the concepts of, like, for example, you mentioned marathon and, and a sprint. But then, you know, there's the ideal thing. This is the ideal, um, like, state of operating from rest and, like, fighting for significance. But then there's the real. And I feel like it's easy to deceive yourself and say this, I am doing, like, I am in a marathon, whereas, in fact, I'm actually in a sprint. And then my question is, how do you tell, based on yourself, that what I'm doing is not sprinting? Like, I mean, if you use the, the illustration, some guys, I mean, I don't care how hard I train, I'm never going to do a marathon in less than two hours, even if you give me drugs, still. <laughs> You know, but there are the people who do that. And so their marathon may never look like what my marathon would look like. How do you strike, how do you know that you are in that marathon space? Um, if I knew that answer, I'd write the book. 
So the, the, the clues, there are a couple of clues here, okay? So the one thing is in my life, um, my wife, our beautiful wife, has been the most important instrument God has used to speak to me and watch me and give me feedback because life is so close to me, I can't see it. So, and then if we're not married, do we have a trusted source that we are accountable to that's watching you as you watch yourself? Then I think growing up is all about the ability to live the correct seasons in your life. So the, the Bible is a, a book of seasons. Israel and the, Jesus coming in the New Testament and then right down to God creating the world in six, seven days, resting on the seventh day. Those are all patterns given to us on seasons. So what's my season? So this whole idea of rest and the Sabbath is my season of time out. And then our daily rhythms of do I have enough time out to observe myself? So the, the quiet times we have, the time with God we have, um, uh, those are such special moments because we could also use it for self-reflection on how's my, how goes it with my soul. So we also have a responsibility to ourselves to try and do it for ourselves. But it's difficult when life is busy. So we depend on other people to observe and we get that feedback. But we have to be open to that feedback. So when I was younger and I was the bull, um, I didn't want to hear the feedback. Um, and as I got older, my wife will tell you, I, I'm, a, I'm becoming a good listener. <laughs> I'm nearly there, and I'm getting better all the time. And she says, oh, yeah, one day I'll get there. So, but it's about, do you want to have the input so you could be effective? But I don't think we understand. The, the, the sweet spot for me is, am I in that sweet place with God that I need to be? And we know when we're there, and we know when we're not there. But, and do I chase after that as an obsession or not? So, so, that, so there's, a, there's a responsibility I have around doing that. And that to me is about doing life. And then the last point, I'm speaking a lot, is we have, to be, we have to be careful of comparing ourselves. The world gives us scorecards and league tables that says, you're not as good as the church over there that's having 25 conversions a week. And not three baptisms, 22 baptisms, okay? So while I'm not good enough, let me work harder. So we also have to get back to what is excellent in God's eyes for this community without comparing myself. So, so that's that performance ethic we have to be careful of as well. Okay. Um, I also just want to add, if I may, um, people give you cues, but you also learn what your, what your tells are in a sense. Um, so I have a friend who she says when her battery needs, her phone battery needs charging, it is a sign to her that she is probably also depleted and she should also take a gap because if her technology is run down, then there's a good chance that she is. And so she just uses that as a prompt as she plugs in her phone or she plugs in her laptop that she needs to go for a walk, reconnect with God or whatever. Such a simple thing, but that is her tell. If her technology is depleted, so is she. Cool. Question for honor. If I was a, a youth leader, a church leader, a marketplace leader that's running a business, and I got an invitation to Hugga Hugga for four days, which would cost me financially. It would cost me getting off the treadmill of preparing for the next weekend's events or whatever it is. Can you give me a few reasons why it would be worth me making that sacrifice? Are you looking for an invite? <laughs> this is one way to get yourself to Hugga. Um, so uh, Greg's referring to a time where we, 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 once a year, we're going to do it twice a year, next year, we invite 
um, guys in, that are leading marketplace and full-time guys into a cottage on the coast, and we we eat and be merry with one another and just hang as mates with no agenda. Why why is that worth that kind of sacrifice? Greg, I would say to you, I would plan and do all my planning before so I can get there, number one. And I, I don't think we value enough unhurried, unstructured time with, with mates, with friends. Everything's got an agenda. Everything's got a time limit. Everything, something has to happen. So to come to a time at a hugger time, let's just refer to it as a hugger time with the guys, and for three days just to be with mates and let conversations go where they need to go without anybody leading the conversation saying, you're here for this purpose. We're actually just here to brother and to be mates and to talk. Whatever's on your heart, whatever you're going through, let's talk over a meal while we're walking on the beach or playing touch rugby or whatever we're doing, let's just talk. Because we don't have that time in the reality is what happened at the end of Joburg, I think it was last year, we were literally leaving the conference and one of my friends said, Honor, I just need time with my mates. And he's leading a church. And by the time we got into the plane an hour and a half later, we had 10 guys booked for a time at Hugger saying, we're all just desperate to hang with mates. Can we just make it work? It was the easiest thing to ever put together. And it, and it, it reflects to, so Greg, my answer would be, that's not going to fix anything. Because we'd, we actually need to build into our lifetime, into our budgets and into our, our diaries, is moments with our, with our friends, mates. We, we feel guilty about that. There must be an agenda. There must be an outcome. There must be some reason why we're doing this. We can't just have a meal and not talk church or ministry or plans of the future. Or We can't just talk and say, how are you doing? How are you and your wife doing? How are, how are we doing? And not have an agenda. We just. Um, and so I think I'm reasonably um, gifted in having time with guys without agendas. I looked, I'm, I'm able to just go, we're here to eat meat and have a glass of wine, and we're going to talk about whatever's on your mind or whatever that is, and I'm going to try and get you out of your functional space into what's going on inside and how you're doing as a person. I don't know if that helps you, my bad. But, but the problem is that we, that's why we're lonely in ministry, because we're just functioning, functioning, functioning. We don't have time with real friendships that really get to the heart of who we are and what's going on. Um, with this concept of working from rest, do you see any nuance to those that would be uh, bivocational? So both in the marketplace as well as pastoral service. Um, what are nuances to that? And even some of these principles that we've talked about, what practical things would you share with those who are in that space? Um, yeah, so I've been part of the story in Common Ground for older than rugby is, I think. And... <laughs> And in the, old, in the old days, people used to ask me, um, marketplace guy, so what are you responsible for? What's your portfolio? And I said, as soon as I find out, I'll let you know. <laughs> um, I'd, 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 so, um, um, again, the marathon metaphor is that for us to run well, we've got to have our, our, our eyes fixed on what it is we need to do well for the long term. So it's about what do we say yes to as well as what we say no to. Um, I think through the years I've got very, in the early days of my church life, there were times I was busy six days, seven days a week, which was ridiculous. And then as I got older and more wise, it was down to what can I do, what can't I do? So I'm very good at saying no. And in fact, my wife and I, she's the one that likes to say yes and no, um, because she watches over what I say yes to. And, and we, so we've got very good at being intentional about what we say yes to and try and do it well. 
and then be a blessing to the team but also say no to other things. And, and I think in, in a high-functional team, we watch each other. So it's also about the guys watch us, marketplace guidance, in terms of when we are trying to do too much. And so, so there's a sort of safety valve in there. But it's about um, are we living our lives to the kingdom in the marketplace? Also, I see my marketplace as a, as, as a ministry field. So, you know, so I'm also, what I do there is not a separate life. It's part of my blended one life I live. So, uh, yeah, but then in terms of the church life, I'm very intentional about where do I focus and where do I play and how do I play.